The following panel was featured at the 17th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Palm Desert, California, a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it. We encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Together we can. The Power of Community. A panel discussion with Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky, Mrs. Michal Oshman, and Rabbi Pinchas Taylor. Moderated by Rabbi David Goldstein. Shalom, y'all. My name is Rabbi David Goldstein from Chabad of West Houston, and also I direct the JLI Wellness Institute of Houston. As the lead rabbi of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, I realized the importance of creating a community for connection for some 60 Jewish inmates in the state. It would only further their rehabilitation, and therefore I sought out to create an enhanced Jewish program back in 2007 which has been very helpful to the inmate population and has led to success in their rehabilitation. I think we can all agree that connection is an important topic to address and bring awareness to, especially with so many studies coming out on how lonely Americans are. Especially this year being a hakel year, a year of uniting the nation. Each of our panelists will bring an angle on this topic that will be very informative and enlightening for all of us. We are looking to explore the scientific and Judaic side of things here, and all the answers are welcome and wanted. So let's introduce today's panelist. Here we have Dr. Lyubimovsky. She's a distinguished professor of psychology at the University of California, Riverside, and author of the How of Happiness, and the Myths of Happiness, which has been published in 39 countries. She received her BA, summa cum laude, from Harvard University and her PhD in social psychology from Stanford University. The doctor's research on the possibility of lastingly increasing happiness via gratitude, kindness, and connection interventions have been the recipients of many grants and honors including an honorary doctorate from the University of Basel, the Denier Award of Outstanding Mid-Career Contributions in Personality Psychology, the Christopher J. Peterson Gold Medal, the Distinguished Research Lecturer Award, and a Positive Psychology Prize. To her left, we have Michal Ashman, who is a woman that wears many hats. She's the former global head of, a company, of company culture at TikTok, has held leadership positions at Facebook and eBay, has coached hundreds of tech leaders, served as an officer in the IDF, is a, is a wife and a mother to four young children. Michal is also the author of the best-selling book, What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? Would like to welcome Michal. You just make people feel better, right? <laughs> <laughs> and to her left, we have Rabbi Pinchas Taylor, who is a best-selling author and lecturer. His books, Pillars of Faith and A Jewish Guide to the Mysterious, are great works of insight and scholarship into the spiritual realm. 
Rabbi Taylor is a certified cognitive behavioral therapy practitioner, clinical trauma specialist, and a member of the American Counseling Association. Okay, so let's jump right in. And I'd like to direct the first question to Dr. Lubimirsky. The question is like this. The Surgeon General put out an advisory about Americans being more lonely than ever. Why is this happening now? I think it's been happening for a long time, so I'm actually not convinced that loneliness is a lot worse now. Um, I can speak to various sort of legs of this problem. One is among young people. So there is pretty convincing evidence that uh, tweens and teens are more lonely, more anxious and depressed. We've heard about this epidemic of anxiety and depression in young people. Pretty convincing evidence. It's related to their screen use and their social media use, but we don't really know because all the evidence is correlational. So we, but we're, it's a pretty good guess that the less time they spend face-to-face -face with other people connecting, the more time they're on a screen, the less connected they feel. And then, of course, COVID, you know, did a number on, all, on a lot of us in terms of connection. So lots and lots of answers to that question. Michal, this one's for you. Is there a difference in loneliness for someone who is single, in a bad relationship, or in a good relationship? So I'm not an expert in the field, but from you know, meeting and coaching and um, my work, I think you can be married with seven children and feel lonely. I don't think loneliness has to always do with the number of people around you. I think it's also how you feel within yourself. Um, so I think loneliness goes much deeper about, um, yes, I agree with you about how we connect with others, but also how we feel about ourselves. Um, and a person can feel more or less lonely um, connected to how they're feeling, you know, about themselves and the people around them. I see. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyone like that? I'll add, I guess, uh, my favorite theory right now in psychology is called partner responsiveness theory. And it argues that the, the, the secret to relationships is feeling understood, valued, and loved. Understood, valued, and loved. And basically what we're seeing is that a lot of us are loved, but we don't feel loved. Uh, we don't feel cared for. And so I, I think that's something that we need to figure out, you know, what, what the answer is. And is that new? So this need, this new need of being feel seen, understood, is that a new need? Yeah. I know it's, yeah, it's definitely not a new need. And I'm not, I don't think there's data to show how it's, whether that's changed over time. So all I can really speak to is today that many people don't feel understood, loved and cared for or appreciated and valued. Um, so yeah, um, important challenge. I'm interested about this also as a parent, right? Because when I grew up, you know, many parents today, they'd say to their children, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're a genius, even if they're not. Um, my parents never said any of that to me. <laughs> um, so I think I'm always wondering the connection between the human nature and what a human needs to feel, but also what the society tells us today that we need in order to be feeling all those feelings and the, and the connection between them. But what has changed? I would say just kind of piggybacking on one of the points that were discussed earlier, um, 
that's as to why you know, why is it why now as opposed to uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. One of the things that we see different since the 1970s, 1980s, is people are less community oriented. Less people are becoming members of their uh, their religious community. They, they don't go to their house of worship anymore. Less people are marrying. Less people are uh, are socializing in, in, for a variety of reasons. And that's li living a much more atomistic society where you don't feel loved. Even if someone is loving you, you're, you're in your own bubble. You don't really process what the community feels about you. Thank you. All right, we're going to continue. <laughs> this is for you, doctor. All right. What does real social connection sense of belonging look like? And is it more than just talking? Mm, is it more than just talking? Interesting, because I, I now am studying conversations. Um, so I'm going to back up a little bit, because there's a lot to say on this topic. So I've been studying happiness for almost 35 years. And we do, in my work, we do happiness interventions, where we try to experimentally manipulate whether someone is happy or not. We prompt people to engage in different exercises to make them happy. And I had this epiphany a few years ago that seems like a cliche. And the epiphany was that the secret to happiness is connection, <laughs> that, that actually almost everything that we, that, that works to make people happier works because it makes us feel more connected. Like, like I study gratitude, for example, I'll be t giving a talk after this uh, on this. Um, so we, we get people to write gratitude letters, but why is it that writing gratitude letters make people happier is because it makes you feel more connected to the person you're writing your gratitude letter to. Um, anyway, so, so then I thought, oh, we have to study how to get people more connected, how to foster connection. That's a really big problem, hard problem, how to alleviate loneliness, lots of answers to that. So then I thought, well, one of the keys to connection is conversation. So actually, I kind of would say that yes, we can connect without talking, but it's not that common. I mean, yeah, we can sit, you can sit next to someone, you could touch, right? You, you don't really have to say anything, but usually we connect through conversation or so, social interaction. So we started studying conversations, and then we thought, okay, well, what are the keys to conversations? Well, you want to make the other person feel understood and valued and cared for in the conversation. And so I just recently actually partnered with a professor in Israel named Guy Itzhoff, and he's one of the world's experts on listening. So it turns out one of the keys to a good conversation is to be a good listener. And what's called a, a high qual like a, a, an active, high-quality listener. And you, could, you probably all can guess what that means, right? You're, you're really present, you know, you're, you're asking detailed questions, you know, you're really, and also you're really authentic. You can't fake it. I mean, you could kind of nod, right, and look like you're listening, but you can't fake it. People know when you're not really listening. So anyway, that's a long answer to your question that usually it does involve talking. What's happiness? Sure, well, well, we can start with, with that. Well, we're, we're talking about connection, but then connection makes us happy, so we should talk about it. So happiness um, really has two components, and the first component People who are happy uh, experience relatively frequent positive emotions. What do I mean by, by positive emotions? Joy, tranquility, pride, affection, serenity, enthusiasm, all of those are positive. Um, people who are happy experience more positive emotions, less, fewer negative emotions. Of course, negative emotions are also adaptive and healthy when kind of, you know, when they're not chronic or intense. That's one component. The second component is having a sense that your life is good that you're progressing towards your life goals, that you're satisfied with your life. So 
it's sort of this emotional component, and then there's sort of a cognitive component, like I'm satisfied with my life, and I have frequent positive emotions. Thank you. Michal, this one is for you. How can I be supportive of those in my community? Both those I know are having a hard time and those I don't. So how... How do you support? How do you support them? No, I'm thinking about what you just said, Doctor, about um, meeting people where they are. This is how I'm, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, right, and answering your question. I think that sometimes, even when we get together, physically, by the fact that we physically get together doesn't mean that we are building meaningful relationships and community, just by the fact that our bodies are in the same place. I think the question of building community and a sense of belonging and seeing people is if something happens there, right? Something, something unique that, that, that makes us feel, feel something. In order to be able to do what you just referred to, I think we need to meet people where they are and, and kind of go and come towards, towards others. That means that we need to be curious about other people that are different to us, to be able to ask questions. I often see that at a Shabbat dinner table. We often invite people that we don't know. And it always depends if the evening is meaningful and they enjoyed it or not. How much did we encourage and engage the conversation? How much did we ask? How much did we want to learn? And how much did we bring from ourselves? Um, so I think whether, going back to your question, I think it's to be able to build meaningful community and relationships with people that we know and we don't know, we have to take that approach of willingness to learn, huge curiosity, zero judgment, and personally, and that refers to the second part of what you said, Doctor, about the more cognitive, find something that we have in common. Like this glue, right? This something that will feel, everyone will feel like they have a stake in this, that there's something, it could be to do something together or solve a problem together. But I don't think that we can build community just by osmosis, but just getting better people together in the same place. Rabbi Taylor. We can't read people's minds. Should we just assume everyone is having a hard time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it, the truth of the matter is that in a, certain, in a certain sense, it would make sense to assume that everyone is having a hard time because everyone is struggling with something. One of the, one of the interesting things that the Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Murthy, iterates in his book uh, together, what he says is that the underlying or sort of the undergirding premise of a lot of the issues that we have in society, be it anxiety and depression or addiction, all of these types of struggles that people are dealing with, one of the common themes that undergirds all of it is loneliness. And so even if someone doesn't outwardly seem to be struggling with loneliness in particular, they're struggling with something that having a connection with others is going to be helped by. If I might add something, um, you're a therapist, so you might have heard this, um, but a clinician friend of mine once said to me that the DSM-5, the DSM where all the mental health conditions are described and to diagnose, the DSM-5 is loneliness in all its many forms. So basically every kind of mental health problem is associated with some kind of social deficit and, lo yeah, and loneliness. Very good. So this question is going to be asked both to the rabbi, up uh, to the doctor and the rabbi. 
Okay. The question like, is. Sounds like a joke. Yeah. A rabbi and a doctor <laughs> walked into a JLI conference. Okay. As a community, how can we make our congregations more connective and not just places we attend? So I don't know which one of you would like. That. Um, well, actually, I, I wanted to respond to something that Michal said that actually is relevant to the answer, how we connect. Um, you know, because I completely agreed with you about um, how, you know, showing ge genuine curiosity and asking questions. When we're together, whether it's at a Shabbat table or any kind of, at a conference, at a coffee shop, any kind of community, bowling, you know, I was thinking of Bowling Alone, the book that sort of talked about how we don't have enough social capital anymore. Um, and that is, this is how I put it. We all walk around with walls around ourselves. We're just, we have these walls and we don't often put them down. And so a lot of our conversations are, are small talk or maybe like medium talk. <laughs> and I feel like I'm too old for small talk. Like I'm, I'm done, I'm done with small talk. I mean, sometimes it's important to kind of, yeah, like it's a little bit of a glue at the beginning to talk about the weather or whatever, <laughs> 106 degrees outside. Um, but uh, I like to like I have I like to have deep conversations with everyone. Now, deep doesn't mean reveal your dark secrets, but it's like you're talking about something meaningful, like how something meaningful that happened to you today, or the emotion you had, or a thought you had. And curiosity, I think, is like so important to be just genuinely curious. And imagine what happens with curiosity, what you can do with curiosity when there's conflict, when you're talking to someone who you don't agree with at all on anything, and you're like, why, why do they believe what they believe? You know, it's just an attitude of curiosity. Um, and so again, I'm kind of done with small talk, and I'll just end with a little um, anecdote. I went to a dinner party with eight people who I didn't know, and I, I'm an extrovert, but still I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to spend time with you know, people I don't know. And, and so someone decided to play a game, okay? It's not, it's not really a game, but it's kind of like a game. We all went around the table and we said, if you really knew me, you'd know that. That's all it is, that's as simple as that. If you really knew me, and you don't have to go, you know, if you don't have to go that deep. Some people went really deep and other people didn't, but it was all meaningful. So anyway, I, I just think if everyone here, like for the rest of today, you know, um, uh, prioritizes like, actual kind of meaningful deep conversations over small talk. I think that'll be a win. So yeah. just to anchor it back to the question. If uh, that's how to build community. Yeah, so how to build community is through connecting right. through conversation. Right, it's the actual, you know, meaningful conversation because once you, once you have that moment like, oh, and then you suddenly like, you remember that person forever and you, and you get it. Like, cause, cause then you, cause people meet each other and they're like, oh, I'll get, I'll text you, but they never do, right? So. What will actually get you to text the person and say like, hey, how are you doing? Let's have a phone call. Let's get together for a cup of coffee. It's those moments of connection. Thank you. I have, um, just to you know, piggyback on that, a, a similar story. So I was talking to a friend recently. He's a, he's a rabbi and uh, he, he wanted to utilize a barbecue as like a way to get people together to give a, to give a class. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, you know, you, bring Jews with food, you're going to bring more people than Jews without food, right? So he, he had the barbecue, and the barbecue started, and everyone's having a good time, and they're, they're talking together, and he saw the people were really talking, and then the, the night just sort of continued, and everyone was very engaged with each other, 
And it didn't feel right to just abruptly stop it and to give a class. And so initially, after, after the barbecue was over and everyone said goodbye, he kind of felt bad. He was like, the whole purpose that I got everyone together for was to teach the class. Like the barbecue was just a means of getting people in the door and then we'll have a class. But what, he, what later dawned on him was that what the people really needed that <laughs> night was the barbecue, not necessarily the class. There's a place for a class, time and place for a class, but there's also a time and a place for a barbecue. So just getting people together and talking in a real way, it's tremendously significant for a community. Very good. Okay, this, is, this question is for you, Rabbi Taylor. Connection is clearly important. How do you differentiate between social and spiritual connection? Um, so what I would say is that Social connection, as we've kind of been touching on, is, is a bit subjective. It's how I process the relationships that I have. It's subjective in the sense that it, I could have a lot of people and a lot of connections and a lot of you know, people in my life, but not feel connected, not feel socially connected. So it's my subjective view, my subjective processing of the world around me, whereas a spiritual connection is an objective truth. We are always spiritually connected with each other and with God. And so our spiritual connection is more sort of revealing an objective reality that's there. And our social connection is building uh, or reprocessing a subjective perception of the world. So this is off script. So in regards to a spiritual connection, is it a spiritual connection between me and you or a spiritual connection between me and myself? There's a spiritual connection that we have within ourselves, getting to know ourselves. Uh, there is a spiritual connection that we have amongst each other, and there's a spiritual connection that we have with, with Hashem. And all are important and really vital for the well-being of our lives. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Michal, back to you. Many people frequent social gatherings, but they still feel alone together. How can we make our getting together more supportive? I feel that you touched on it. Um, and I'm also wondering, today, for example, you spoke about the conference. I haven't felt so, I haven't felt so connected in, to, to others in a very long time. I, don't, I didn't know anyone here today before, right? But I arrived and I shared something about myself on stage and immediately we started connecting together people sharing their most personal experiences, choosing to. It's not for everyone. And we, suddenly we had something in common. In my case, it's dealing with anxiety. So, again, what you said, I also don't do, to, like, chit-chat, and I don't, even though I'm British, I'm supposed to know how to do all this kind of weather talk, but I'm, like, really from Israel, so we don't talk about the weather. Um, but it's nice. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's a nice way to start. And also, speaking on a personal level, it's not for everyone, right? But I think it's also, sorry to bring the subject that I'm really passionate about, is the culture that you create within the space. I think one of the reasons that this, this loneliness issue that we have is that we often shy away from conflict. So it's safer maybe to connect less with each other because we want things to be safe. We want to feel protected. We don't enjoy feeling uncomfortable, raw, not knowing, out of control. So sometimes all these feelings cause us to actually take a step back, spend less time, risk, oh, if I get married, what, what if it doesn't, what if this marriage doesn't work? 
I start a new job or I join a community. What if I don't like it? Okay, I'm not going to join. So I think, speaking about correlations, and I haven't studied this, there's a correlation between how we deal with uncertainty that always often leads us to not wanting to experience uncertainty. And then where's the safest place? Just within myself, within my home. That's more certainty there. Um, so I think it's also about educating each other that life is unknown and allowing people to get themselves out there to live life and know that it's not always going to way, work the way that we want it to work. And reassure our children, and if this path doesn't work, they can choose another path. They don't always have to get it right. Not every friendship is going to flourish. If these things are so connected, the education, the culture of today, everything. I think maybe loneliness, this experience of loneliness is just the outcome of all these other trends that we're seeing. But again, not an expert, but that's my sense. Thank you. All right, doctor, back to you. Social media is here to stay. How do we use it in a way that engenders connection? Yeah, it's a hard one. <laughs> uh, I, I, was telling, I was talking earlier, right, about the correlation between social media use for girls with uh, unhappiness. Um, there's some research that has some suggestions. Uh, one is active social media use tends to be associated with more happiness than passive use, which is kind of lurking and sort of reading other people's posts where you're, you might feel kind of FOMO, feel left out. You feel left out, you feel like everyone else is having a good time, you feel like everyone else is more attractive than you are, right, because they're posting their most beautiful selfies. Um, but I, I don't know, I really think that um, taking breaks from it might, might actually be the, the, best, uh, the best way. But, but I also wanted to add that the, the social media also allows us to connect with people you know, that we've never been able to connect with before, right? Like our family in Israel or in other countries. And you know, I, I have au pairs, I have four kids too, and I've had au pairs from uh, Europe for 23 years. And the first so many years, um, they, uh, they were really homesick. And then suddenly something switched and then they were no longer homesick and that is when they started to be able to be in touch with their friends and family like you know, multiple times a day. So there's also some really good things about, about social media and uh, digital media as well. So uh, I don't have a good answer to that question. I can try, I'll take one because I've worked in these companies for many yeah. years. Um, obviously I'm not an expert in social media. I will take a, a Lubavitch approach to this if I may or at least the one that I'm telling is telling myself is the right, that everything has good in it and everything has potential in it. And I always loved learning the fact that in Israel they were able to hear the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the you know, 70s, 80s because of technology. And I found Hasidut online. I googled depression, anxiety, fear, and I also googled happiness, joy, and Judaism, and I found I found you know, the, the, the teaching of Tanya eventually, etc. So I think that social media, and I think this like, new advanced tech, it has so much goodness. It, like anything else in life, it depends how we use it. And using it for the best and, and, and good ways. And we have to educate ourselves and our children on how to use it meaningfully. But again, it starts from us, right? If I am watching, following this girl that I always was jealous at as a young girl and I'm seeing how she's progressing her life and enlarging the image to see how she's looking today and how many wrinkles she has. I need to have a conversation with myself, Michal, 
Michal, like, let go, okay? She's doing really great. What are the issues with you, right? And then either stop following her or follow her in a more mature way. But that's the work I'm doing on myself. I can't blame Mark Zuckerberg on that. So, um, even though it's tempting. So I, I think that sometimes this, uh, these behaviors with social media is also, it's a way for us to say, wait, wait, what's not working for you that you're, these are the behaviors that you're um, expressing. So that, that would be my, I, I see my role as a parent to help my children not avoid social media, but facilitate themselves in the context of social media, because as you very rightly said, it's not going away. Michal, this is also for you. It is often said that one needs to help others to feel complete. Right? You need another person to complete it. Is that an accurate concept? Should we be encouraging people to volunteer more? So I'm obsessed with volunteering. Not that I volunteer enough. I wish I did, sorry. Just to make sure that I don't mislead here. I just believe that mental, for mental health and for joy and meaning, um, volunteering is so, so, so helpful. Um, I call it, in, in the UK, when you go to the, the medical clinics, the GP clinics, it says um, vitamin V, V for volunteering, and they encourage people to volunteer when you go to see a, a general practitioner because it's good for you. Um, I truly think that sometimes when we over-obsess with ourselves, what do we look like? What does my CV look like? How successful I am? I am. am I as successful as my neighbor? Am I pleasing my parents? Is this la la la? If we over, it could be really depressing because we'll never, ever, ever achieve all of those things. So channeling some of that energy on, from the self to do something meaningful for others, I think is just really healthy. Um, and every time I volunteer, I know that I'm feeling much stronger, better than the person or the community or the cause that I'm doing work for. So just to put it out there, the last time the Rebbe spoke, right before his stroke, it was uh, Parshat uh, Shkalim. And the Rebbe spoke about the concept of machatzit shekel, half a shekel. And the concept was is that two halves make a whole. And basically, as we were saying, one Jewish person without another is really only half a coin. So this is basically bringing that from the light of the way the Rebbe saw things, the importance of having the connection of two halves two people coming together to form a more complete level. Good? Okay. All right, this is a question for both the doctor and for the rabbi. Again, it sounds like a joke, right? Okay. Is purpose the same thing as connection? I, I'd say that purpose is the thing that facilitates connection. Because when you share a similar purpose, you, you have the same goal, you have the same mission, uh, that is what actually facilitates the connection between people. That's what gets us on the same wavelength to work together and, and, uh, and we, we feel like we're a part of something. You know, think in our society, a lot, of the, a, lot of the, a lot of the division that we see, whether it's politically or, or amongst different communities, is that we don't see ourselves anymore as trying to live up to the same purpose. So the same, we're not driven by the same mission. We have different goals and aspirations. You know, the, the thing that used to link us together, that used to connect us, let's say, as a nation, was this idea that, okay, we may have different views of how to achieve it, but we're looking to go in the same direction. We have the same purpose that is undergirding everything. If we lose sense of what that purpose is, then 
it, we can't facilitate it. It much, becomes much harder anyway to facilitate a connection. So I think that purpose and connection are related, but purpose is sort of like a mechanism that helps facilitate a connection. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I don't think I have anything to add. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so then this one's for you. All right. Does spirituality fill the place of companionship? Can spirituality fill the place of companionship? Or does it? Okay, I'm not sure what that means. So like spirituality, right? Going to synagogue, yeah. praying, so on yeah. and so forth. Does a person feel alone if he, he or she maintains a spiritual like lifestyle or style or delves into spirituality? Okay. Hmm. Well, I can talk. I can speak to the research on this. Um, uh, sort of the yeah the researcher. Um, so uh, spiritual people and religious people are happier than less spiritual or less religious people. Um, and so the question really is why. Um, and one of, the, one of the answers is that people who are spiritual and, religion, and religious, and I know those are two different things, but they often go together, um, have a, a stronger sense of community. Uh, they have stronger relationships. Um, you know, they, they have more greater connection and also meaning in life uh, and purpose, <laughs> all of those things. So, so I'm not sure if that answer, so that's the only way really I know how to answer that question is that, is that individuals who are spiritual have stronger community and stronger connection. I think yeah. we could yeah. maybe add on to yeah. it and say as well, I mean, I've seen it before, the Rebbe is speaking to somebody through dollars or whatnot, that if, if a per, the person should never feel alone because if they are cognizant that Hashem, the God Almighty is always with them, that alleviates the feelings of loneliness. And same thing with adversity, right? If you're undergoing a really... Uh, huge challenge that you'd never quite feel alone in, in coping with it, right, if you're spiritual or religious. I, I'd, I'd like to add to that just that spirituality certainly helps with alleviating, alleviating the feeling of loneliness because we, if you feel connected, like Rabbi Goldstein said, if you feel connected above, you're never alone. At the same time, I, I don't know that it's a replacement for other social connections because one of the interesting things that you see in the biblical model is Adam, the very first human being, who you can't get more spiritual than that. He was literally you know, formed from the dust of the earth. God breathes the breath of life into him. He's, a, he's, made, he's made in the image of God, the prototype for all humanity, the most spiritual creature ever to walk the earth. And what does God tell him immediately after that? It's not good for man to be alone. He creates Eve to go along with him. So spirituality is certainly helpful in the connection that we have when it comes to loneliness. But it doesn't it doesn't replace the need for human companionship as well. Thank you. Okay. This is for you. In such a competitive workplace or culture, how can we help others feel like we're on the same team? We're all competitive. Okay. Um, okay, so in a competitive culture... So it seems like yeah. you're in a workplace, and everybody is trying to get that promotion or whatever, there's that one position. Mm -hmm. But is there a way to pull it all together that we could still be the same team? Right. Having, certainly having a couple of different ways to answer that. Um, I mean, having a, a, a united purpose or goal, like we're all part of this organization or company, and this is our goal, and we're in it together, and we all play like pieces of it. And so that's one way to do it is to remind ourselves what the grand, 
the grand goal is for all of us. Um, and then at the individual level, also, you know, what sort of what is my calling to remind ourselves, like, why am I doing this? Now, not all of us are lucky enough to have a job that's a calling. And a calling basically is when, you know, you, you well, you know what it is, it's you're really called to do it. I mean, there's research on the difference between jobs, careers, and callings, right? So a job is something you just do for money to pay the rent. A career is basically a job with advancement, but you still just only do it to pay the rent. Uh, and then a calling is sort of above that. So if, if you, but almost any kind of, what's interesting is almost any kind of profession can be seen as a calling. So there's a famous study that showed that um, hospital cleaners and dishwashers were interviewed and a third of them said that their jobs were their calling. And so you might wonder, how can it be a calling to clean hospital rooms? And they said, so, so, so again, the, the, to tie back to the question, it's you know, to sort of remind yourself, what is your meaning? Why are you doing this? Um, and they said, you know, it makes them feel so good to sort of help patients, basically. They're helping the patients, you know, they clean their rooms, they, they'll even rearrange the furniture and the paintings for the, like, the long-term patients so that they have some variety and they, they talk to them and they, so they have connection through their work as well. Anyway, so, so remind ourselves, like, what is the meaning and purpose behind our work? I just wanted mm -hmm. to ask a question, being that we're coming out of the pandemic. Um, and I guess this would be directed to you. So there is something to be said, I'm sure there's scientific data there. The difference between being connected through Zoom virtually versus in person. Can you share some thoughts on that? Yeah, um, so yeah, there's quite a lot of thinking and research on this and I kind of got obsessed with this for a while. Here's a, a fun fact, uh, when we speak, the vibrations are sent uh, through our bones. And so when we're in person, our, you know how when we're in person, the experience of talking to someone is just so different than we're on Zoom. And sometimes you just can't put your finger on it, even though you could see them, you, know, you could hear them, you, yeah, you can't touch them, but, but it's so different. So that's one difference actually that a drama teacher told me about how we literally don't feel those vibrations and we don't even notice it because we, don't know what that feels like. Um, but there's so many, there, there's a, quite a bit of research on this. Um, my, the conclusion from everything that I know is that even virtual connection is still good. It's still really good. Um, so that's one conclusion. So like, don't you know, downplay that. Like it's much better to have that FaceTime call than not at all. Uh, and it's very close to actually in person. Um, and the more we use it, the more we get used to it. Um, another thought is that um, voice, I have a study that shows that what really matters is voice. And so anything that involves voice is really connecting. So that's phone calls or video calls or in person. So phone calls actually can be more connecting than video calls. There's something about voice, right? Very human. Um, but again, the, the, but the point of all of this, I think, is that humans are hardwired to connect in person and to touch and to smell and to feel those vibrations. And so that's why it feels unnatural. But clearly the more we do it, and I think three years later, we're just much more, I don't know, it just feels more natural, right? A, a little bit to, to have those kind of, those, those Zoom calls. Um, so yeah, but don't, yeah, I, I still, I think st we, st we still value any kind of connection even when it's across a screen. Thank you. All right, Rabbi Taylor, how do we make our communities more resilient? 
So I, I think it all starts, it starts at home, it starts with yourself. And, um, and I, had, I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Chate uh, in an interview earlier today, and his, his main forte is resilience. And so we were talking about that resilience is, is really helped and facilitated by feeling like you're part of something bigger. That, that's, a, that's a key in the resilience, in, in experiencing resilience. So to, to feel like you are part of a community, to join a community, to join a group, but even on a, even on a smaller level, you can feel that you're part of a community and that you're part of a greater environment of human beings by doing something as simple as when you're in the cashier line, greeting and making even small talk with the, with the cashier in line, just treating them like a human being, making this, this sort of human interaction. Because that little interaction, even though it's a very superficial, casual, short dialogue, you're still part of something bigger. Not just you living in your own world, doing your own thing, you're part of a greater society. And in a deeper way, you can certainly invite your neighbors and friends and over for dinner and, and, and things like that to, again, facilitate this deeper connection amongst a group of people. All right. Rabbi Taylor. In times of hardship, our communities come together and we all support one another. How do we do this when we aren't hurting? So, for, for, better or for, for better or worse, one of the roles of a rabbi is to perform funerals. And over the years, done a fair share. And one of the things that are, are commonly said by families at a funeral is that, you know, sort of the silver lining in all of this, of, of, of this passing, is that the whole family that never gets together got together. And it, it works a very similar way on a community level as well. All of a sudden, when there's some anti-Semitic incident that takes place, all of a sudden, the Jewish community around the world gets together, we're arm-in-arm, we're making speeches and rallies and holding events and all to combat anti-Semitism. I think it goes back to the idea that at that moment, we have a shared mission. It's like we're all together combating anti-Semitism. And so if we can think of other more positive things that we can rally around, one of the things that really inspired me a bunch of years ago, um, Alan Dershowitz, the attorney, uh, spoke by the Kinnas HaShulchem. And one of the things that he mentioned was what inspired him about the Rebbe was that even though the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who, who has obviously very high religious ideals, whenever he would speak to somebody, even somebody who their lifestyle wasn't necessarily completely in sync with his, he'd only speak about those things that they would agree on and built the relationship based on that. So there are certainly things that we can do as a community, even if amongst the greater Jewish community, amongst the, greatest, the greater world community, there, there are areas that we can find that are not tragic, but that we can all agree on, that we can all bind together with, we can all find meaning and purpose in, that is what will build us together as a community, not just in the bad times when there's an incident, but even in the good times to bring us together. No, I was thinking about Israel in this context uh, as an Israeli and um, 
and how when you have a shared purpose, how really it glues you together. It, it doesn't have to be written somewhere or on the wall, but you feel it, you know. And when, that, when you feel like a bit of a loss or, or this shared purpose being at risk, then, then, then what connects us, what unites us? I was thinking about, I was also thinking about um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe and how everyone has the potential to lead. And the more I think about this experience today, people sitting here with us in different sessions, like how each of us have, from all this learning that we're taking, an, uh, an opportunity, a potential, a, 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 a call, to, to lead on these subjects. And we can each play a role in helping people feel less lonely. If we look into each other's eyes, let's say I, I came on a flight, of course it's easier to put the AirPods and look on my phone. And, but I, I said, no, no, Michal, there's like people around you. You're going to spend 12 hours with them. Took, that, took them off and like greeted my neighbors, right? Said, I'm sorry, I have a broken hip. I'm gonna, you're going to stand along, you know, often. Started a conversation. And then they forgave me when I brought out my very smelly kosher food because they forgot to bring me food. And like it, it bond, but then there was a bond, right? And a connection because they understood me. And I, so I'm saying it requires attention, effort, dedication in today's life to build these relationships, but it's completely doable. We just have to believe that this is what matters and then, and then you know, and take the lead on it. What happens when there's someone in the community who wants to connect and is lonely, but is very toxic and gives off a very negative energy when they come. And this can happen in any sort of community, even in a family. The doctor and the no, rabbi. No one wants to take that one. No, it's a hard one. I, uh, well, radical curiosity is one of my answers. Is like to come to them with, an, with a mindset of curiosity and what is happening with them. Because clearly every human has something to, valuable to offer and has goodness in them. And if they're sending off negative energy, then something is, you know, something is very troubled behind that. And maybe that could be fixed, and maybe that can't be fixed. Um, so again, I'm not a clinician, so I really don't know how to answer that question. But really, but about trying to understand them. Um, yeah, maybe. I would can... say maybe one thing to add, just just a thought. Yeah. We, certainly, you don't have to martyr your entire community for the sake of one person's uh, connection. You don't. You don't have to um, bring a toxic situation into the crowd because one person needs, needs to have their need filled. It's important that they have their need filled, but it doesn't have to be on, on everybody else's, uh, you know, on their account. So one, one way perhaps that, that might be helpful is that that, that person, if, if you're a community leader, for example, which in this case you are, um, perhaps to, to engage with them uh, in, in certain other settings, private settings, uh, make make them feel welcomed and, and appreciated and connected with something, but but not necessarily always in the grand pr uh, public uh, situation. Invite them over to you know for various purposes, either for for Shabbos or for a discussion, for a coffee, something that they still feel connected, but that they don't have to spread 
their challenges and their, and their vibe, let's say, with the, with the rest of the community? I'm with the rabbi. I think that um, people need to be feeling safe in a community and that there's the rules of engagement and there's, there's, there's boundaries. I don't think that being in a community means that there's no boundaries um, of behavior. And when you asked the question, we all thought about that slightly annoying person. Uh, <laughs> I always look I at like... I know that person, right? <laughs> I, was think, I was watched to see how my rabbi responds. Or I was like, you know, I was very admiring. But I also think that, you know, it's good for the person itself, him, themselves, if this boundary of toxicity is put in front of them. I think it's a part of a community leader to be able to put those boundaries. Dr. Michal and Rabbi, thank you very much. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings.